Isaiah chapter 26, please. I want to think with you this morning about a subject that I believe is very relevant to everyone, young and old alike. And uh, I want to think with you about the battle for the mind. The mind is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And there's a constant battle for it. Satan has a twofold purpose for human minds. For the unbeliever, he wants to blind their minds. 2 Corinthians 4 reminds us, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And if you're unsaved here this morning, that's what Satan wants to do with you. He wants to blind your mind. And he does such a good job in blinding the minds of the lost uh, that human minds can become what the Bible describes in Romans 1 as reprobate. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. But Satan doesn't succeed all of the time. And he doesn't win every heart and he doesn't win every mind and there's many who turn to Christ. But don't think that Satan gives up on those individuals. He wants to affect the minds of God's people as well. He wants to make us ineffective for the kingdom of God's dear son. And he does this in a couple of different ways. He he wants to defile our minds. He wants to defile our minds. And that's why we need to be so careful about what we put in front of our eyes and what we listen to and what we read. Second Corinthians 11.3 says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. It's possible, you know, for our minds to become corrupted. Titus 1.15 says, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. A defiled mind. But not only does Satan seek to defile our minds, he seeks to discourage our minds and cause doubt in our minds. And it's not what he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He came to her uh, and he, he, he whispered that question into her, into her mind. Yeah, hath God said, casting those seeds of doubt into her mind. And what a, a job he can do on people at times as he begins to cast those seeds of doubt into people's minds. The psalmist three times in Psalm 42 and 43 said this, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted? Within me, And when we begin to doubt God's word, and when we begin to question God's word, and we begin to wonder, is, is the advice of God's word really the right advice? And we begin to entertain other forms of advice outside of God's word. We become what James describes in his little epistle as double-minded. And he said there in James 1.8 that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So there's a real battle going on for our minds. And we need to be aware of this. And you know, many people are so discouraged in our society and so cast down in their minds and so depressed in their minds that they're relying on medication to help them even through these things. Mental health is a real 
pandemic in the UK. According to figures from the NHS Business Services Authority, the BSA, there was an increase in the number of people prescribed antidepressants in the UK from 7.87 million people in 2020-2021 to 8.32 million people in 2021-2022. And according to mental health charity AWARE, one in six people in Northern Ireland are using antidepressants. That's about 16% of the population. And it's not just the adult population who are affected. There was an article in the Times of London in August 2021 that said this, children are being prescribed antidepressants in record numbers. New figures from the NHS reveal in 2020, 231,791 prescriptions for drugs issued to children aged between 5 and 16 years of age. So it isn't just the adult population that's being affected. It's children as well. And I'm sure in those statistics that we've just quoted this morning, that many of those people are God's people. God's people, people who are losing out in the battle for the mind. Now, I'm no expert this morning on mental health, and I don't claim to be. But I just have to question this morning whether the use of mind-altering drugs is really the solution to the battle for the mind. Is the solution not to be found in a deeper spiritual problem that needs addressed and can only really be addressed through the word of God. We've already seen in the introduction to this message that the Bible has a great deal to say on the matter of the mind. All those scripture verses that I quoted all had that word mind in them somewhere or other. And there's three things that I want to say this morning. And I want you to I want to turn you to three different scriptures this morning as we think about this battle for the mind. And I want you to think with me about a truth to appreciate, a mind to captivate, and a mind to cultivate. First of all, then, a truth to appreciate. You've got your Bible open there at Isaiah chapter twenty six, I trust, reading from verse number one. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting Righteousness. Let's just take a wee moment and ask for God's help with his word open before us. Father, we thank thee for thy goodness. And Father, we thank thee for this day that is set aside for rest and for worship. And Father, as we come now to consider thy word, as we come now to consider this topic of the battle for the mind, we do indeed ask for the help and the aid of the Spirit of God that he would illuminate the page to us and help preacher and hearer alike this morning. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. These scriptures that we've read this morning from Isaiah 26 are prophetic in nature and they're speaking of a time in the millennial kingdom, a time that is yet to come, a time when Israel will experience perfect peace. And there's not much peace in Israel this morning, is there, as we look in the news? But this verse 3 here, whilst there is a, a prophetic fulfillment to it, there is a reality in which All of us as God's people can live in, even now. 
This reality that we can experience perfect peace. Verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. The man, the woman, the young person who puts their trust in God can know this perfect peace described here. And surely that is a truth to appreciate this morning. What a what a thought, what a, what a theology for people who are struggling in their minds this morning to realise that they can know this perfect peace. <clears throat> I want you to notice the operation of God, first of all, in this verse. Because the verse begins, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Thou, it is God himself who is doing the keeping here. And, th- and this word keep here, it's a military word. It's the Hebrew word nautsar. And it sometimes is translated watchman. Sometimes it's translated preserver. And the whole context of this portion that we're reading this morning, as we've already mentioned, is about a time in Israel's future when they will dwell in perfect peace. When they will dwell in perfect security when they will dwell in a strongly defended city of Jerusalem look again there at the language of verse 1 we have a strong city salvation will God appoint for walls and for bulwarks I know it's been announced that I'm from Lurgan and I, I attend Lurgan Baptist Church but I'm not a Lurgan man originally I'm originally from Warren Point which is away down on the, the southeast coast and I don't know if you've ever been that far in your travels or if you've travelled from Newry into Warren Point. But as you approach Warren Point on the right hand side of the, of the main road coming in there, you'll see what's called Narrow Water Castle. It's actually not a castle. There is a castle in the forest up on the left. You can't really see it from the road unless you know to look for it. But at the side of the road there is a keep. A keep, same word, keep. Now the keeps were introduced to the British Isles by the Normans about ten decades ago. And a keep was a military centre. It was a place where a military detachment would live who, who would look after the interests of the nobleman in that part of the world. And it's this same idea with this Hebrew word nautsar to keep. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. You see, it's God who does the keeping. But there's a condition. There's a condition that needs to be be met here in this verse 3 because as was the case in our salvation, the, the, the blessing is not bestowed unless the condition is met. And the condition, as always in the Christian life, is faith. Faith, trust, Confidence in God. Look again at verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You see, if we don't stay our minds on Jehovah, if we don't stay our minds on the Lord, then we'll not know what it is to have this perfect peace. You see, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them. That diligently seek him. Could it be? Could it be that the lack of peace of mind that people have in these days is because they have a lack of trust in an omnipotent God? Look at how verse 3 ends. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth 
in thee. The word translated stead there in the verse is a very interesting word as well. It's the Hebrew word saimak. And it's translated in many different ways. Sometimes it's translated lean. Sometimes sustain. Sometimes hold up. Sometimes borne up. Or as we have it here in verse 3, stay. It's the idea of a zimmer frame or, or a, a walking stick that perhaps somebody who's not so mobile will use to, to give them support, to, to stay them up, to keep them up. And surely this is the key to peace of mind in a troubled world. A confidence in our covenant keeping God. To lean on him. To lean on the Lord. To stay our minds on him. A truth we need to appreciate. But I want you to turn with me now to Second Corinthians please. Second Corinthians and the chapter 10 please. And we want to think now about a mind to captivate. For this confidence that we've been thinking about that we have in God can at times be shaken. And we need to understand from scripture how to deal with these challenges biblically. Second Corinthians 10 and we're breaking in at verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Paul's overarching theme in these verses that we've read here, is spiritual warfare. And as we thought about the last point about a truth to appreciate, we noted too there that there was military language that was being employed. And the fact is that we are in a spiritual battle. And we ought never to forget that reality. And that's why I've entitled this message, The Battle for the mind, And that's exactly what verse 5 here is addressing in 2 Corinthians 10. It's looking at this battle for the mind. And he talks here about casting down imaginations. Where does imaginations come? They come in our mind. And every high thing that exalteth against the knowledge of God and bringeth into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Where do thoughts come from? Well, thoughts come from our mind. And here's the truth this morning. We are going to imagine things in our heads that are wrong. Uh, and that will shake our confidence at times in God. And you know, we only have to look at what the Bible has to say about human thoughts and human imaginations. Genesis 6 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, our hearts are just as prone to wicked imaginations as those who lived in the pre-flood world. <coughs> Paul says here that we need to cast down imaginations. The same is true of our thoughts. 
The imaginations at the beginning of the verse are perhaps self-thoughts. And the thoughts referred to at the end of the verse could perhaps be external thoughts that are coming in from external sources. And we've already talked about how we need to be careful about what we listen to and what we read. Remember, we have a threefold enemy in this life. There's the world, there's the flesh, and there is the devil. And wrong thoughts can come from any of these three sources. Paul says here that we're to bring our thought life into captivity. You see, there is a mind. There is a mind that we need to captivate. Wrong thoughts need to be captivated. I want to illustrate this practically with relevant examples. How we are to cast down imagination and how we are to bring our thoughts into captivity with real life typical examples of thoughts that come from this threefold enemy, the world, the flesh and the devil. The world, first of all, when we speak about the world, we're not just talking about this physical planet on which we're living on, but rather the, the world system that's all around about us, that world system that is energized by Satan and it is antichrist in nature and in philosophy. And the world through the media and through entertainment and through enter or through education is always pumping a godless narrative in our direction. Do you know, about 200 years ago, most people who lived in this part of the world believed in theistic creation. That is, they believed that this world in which we live was created by God just exactly as God said it was in the opening chapters of Genesis. Then in 1859, Darwin published his book, The Origin of the Species. And the world of science began to question these theistic beliefs that were held by the majority of people. And since that time, the theory of evolution, and let's never forget that's what it is, it's a theory. Yes, it may be taught as fact in our schools and in our universities and pumped through the media as a fact and they, they just come off with these phrases about billions of years as if they, they somehow are facts. They're not facts, they're theories. Never, never ever forget that. But this theory of evolution ha has so been popularised to the point that the majority within academia, within the media, within education, believe this. And this narrative is constantly being pumped in our direction. To a point where people like us, who hold on to the theistic creation beliefs of Genesis, are ridiculed and treated with disdain and perhaps you're a young person here this morning and perhaps you're learning about these things in school or perhaps you're learning about these things in university and perhaps your mind is being attacked all the time by this war of attrition and that's what it is it's a, a war of attrition on your mind and maybe even now you're beginning to to have doubt in your mind about the veracity and the truth of God's, God's word you need to take those thoughts this morning those wrong thoughts and you need to Kick them captive. And you need to say to them, no, you're a wrong thought. And banish them, as it were, from your mind. You need to bring these thoughts into 
captivity, you need to lock them up, as it were, and throw away the key. The, the, the Greek word translated captivity here in 1 Corinthians 10, 5 is also translated in Luke 21, verse 24, with these words, led away captive. There in Luke 21, the Lord Jesus was talking about what was going to happen in Jerusalem in AD 70 when Titus and his Roman army surrounded the city and took the people away as slaves. And you can picture the scene, you know, those columns of people being led away from the city with the shackles on their hands, being sold into the slave trade. And that's what we need to do with wrong thoughts. We need to put the handcuffs on them, as it were, and we need to banish them from our minds. And I know I'm speaking metaphorically this morning, but this isn't something that goes on in our unconscious mind. This is conscious thoughts that we need to have. We need to have this argument in our brain with these thoughts and say, no, you're a wrong thought. I do not accept this thought in my mind. And in response also, we need to strengthen our faith in the truth of God's word, even about the matter of creation, for example. We, we, we should read good literature from, from apologetic sources like Answers in Genesis who can, who can help us learn how to combat the lies that the world fires at us. That's an example of wrong thoughts coming from the world. What about wrong thoughts that comes even from our own flesh? You know, we have within us a sin nature. And we cannot allow that old sin nature to take control of our conscious or our unconscious mind. For it'll only ever give us thoughts and imaginations that are evil. And if left unchecked, there, there's no telling where our mind will take us. You know yourself when you have those thoughts in your head and you start thinking about something and then, then that triggers a thought about something else. And 30 seconds later, you can't even remember what you were thinking about 30 seconds ago because your mind has gone on down a rabbit hole somewhere. And that's the way that the mind works. It's always talking to us. And we have to take control of it. We have to take it into captivity. And you know, one of those thoughts that often comes to us that's a wrong thought are thoughts of inadequacy. Thoughts of inadequacy. And we all have them, don't we? We all have them. Do you know when the, when the Spirit of God comes to us, say in the prayer meeting, and the Spirit of God puts it in our heart to pray in the prayer meeting. And then, then this wee thought comes in our mind. Oh, I couldn't pray out loud. I couldn't do that. I couldn't pray publicly. Or maybe you've been feeling the challenge to join the outreach team. And maybe to go around the doors or to go out giving out tracts on the street. And then that little thought comes into your mind. Oh, I could never do that. I could never talk to somebody on the street. I could never hand out a gospel tract. Or maybe the Lord's been challenging you about getting involved in some of these works that our sister was mentioning that are going on in the assembly here. The children's meeting, the Sunday school, the youth fellowship. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, no, no, I couldn't do that. I'm not really a public front of the house person. I'm more of a background person. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. Or maybe some of the young men are even feeling challenged about preaching the word of God. And maybe you're thinking, no, I couldn't do that. Those thoughts of inadequacy aren't coming from the Lord. They're coming from our own flesh. And you know, the Bible, of course, shows us that there are other people in the Bible who had these very same thoughts. When God came to Moses at the, at the burning bush and, and told Moses that he wanted him to be his spokesman, Moses responded like this. He said, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. 
He said, I couldn't, I couldn't speak for you, Lord. I, I have a bit of a stammer. I have a bit of a speech impediment. I couldn't do that. But this was the man that the Lord was calling out for exactly that purpose. Jeremiah had the same argument when, when the Lord called him. He said in Jeremiah 1, 6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But you see, God's word clearly teaches us that with God's help, we can do whatever he asks us to do. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So whenever we have those thoughts of inadequacy flooding into our mind, when, when the Spirit of God is prompting us to do something, we need to rebuke them. And we need to say, no, you're a wrong thought. For the word of God tells me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is where the rubber meets the road, folks. However, thoughts of inadequacy go beyond God's service into our lives more generally. The fleshly nature, of course, is never satisfied, nor indeed can it be. Uh, We can all identify with these sort of thoughts. The blue-eyed wishes they had brown eyes. The curly-haired wishes they had straight hair. The tall wish they were a little shorter. The short wish they were a little taller. That was my struggle growing up. You know, as humorous as that might be, it's not funny. When a young person gets it into their mind that they're too overweight, which leads to an eating disorder, or which even leads to attempts on their own life, And we all know that these things can and do happen. You see, the acorn of a thought, if allowed to germinate in the mind, can grow into a mighty oak. Uh, And sometimes these thoughts can come, as I said, from external sources. And sometimes these thoughts of inadequacy, even with our young people, can come from the unkind words of another. And that's why we need to be so careful about this fixation that so many young people have to share selfies on the, on the Facebook and all these social media sites. Instagram, and I don't know what you call them all, I'm not on them, but we need to be so careful about sharing these images of ourselves. And then it's all right when you get the likes and you get those nice endorphin releases, but what about when you get the unkind comment? Are you going to be able to cope with that? You see, whenever these wrong thoughts come into our minds, we need to cast down these imaginations. Cast them down. You know, that is translated, that phrase, cast down, comes from the Greek word kathero. Let me tell you the different ways it's translated in the New Testament. Take down. You ever heard the boxers in their pre-boxing match interviews? And they're coming out with all their trash talk. And they're all telling them what they're going to do to the other guy when they get him into the ring. They're going to take him down. I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Take him down. That's a phrase that we often hear in those scenarios. Another way that word kathero is translated is destroy. Destroy. Another way is put down. Another way is pull down. And as we have here in 2 Corinthians 10, cast down. And that's what we need to do with wrong thoughts when when they come into our minds. We need to take them down. We need to destroy them. We need to put them down. We need to pull them down. We need to cast them down. 
In the word of God, Job, Isaiah and Jeremiah all allude to the hand of God participating and forming them in their mother's womb. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And whether we think we're too tall or too short, or our hair's the wrong shape, or our eyes the wrong colour, just remember this. The God who doesn't make mistakes formed you the way he formed you. Cast down those wrong thoughts that come into your mind. The world, the flesh, but then we also have the devil. And any thought that comes from the devil can certainly be described as a diabolical thought. In Matthew 16, we read the record of how the Saviour began to tell the disciples of how he was going to have to go to the cross and be, be crucified and how he would rise it again. And you remember that Peter took him to the side and began to rebuke him. And the Lord Jesus said in response in Matthew 16, 23, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What the Saviour here did was he resisted the devil. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And this occurrence shows us that wrong thoughts can even come from the most unlikely of sources. You would have thought that Peter... The Lord's disciple was somebody who was going to back the Lord up 100% and, and ruin behind whatever the Lord said. But here the Lord says something's going to happen that Peter didn't like and he begins to rebuke him. You know, we need to be very, under, or we need to be very careful about the sources that we listen to. Perhaps you're listening to some preacher or other online. Maybe there, there's some popular person that you're tuning into. Just make sure that you filter your source through the word of God. And make sure that you're not getting the wrong thoughts. Because wrong thoughts can come from the most unlikely of sources. You know, it's very interesting in Ephesians 6. The Apostle Paul, when he's addressing the subject of the battle of the mind, he talks about that armour of God there in that particular chapter. And one of those uh, implements that he encourages the encourages us to put on on a daily basis is of course the helmet of salvation once again demonstrating that there's a mind that needs to be protected and here the Lord Jesus in this example in Matthew 16 is protecting his mind from a, a wrong thought that is coming from an external source and you know what the saviour here does he rebukes Peter and he rebukes him immediately. He doesn't make a little mental note and say, well, I'll have to have a word with Peter about that after dinner tonight. No, it's an immediate thing. He, 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 he casts down that thought immediately. He doesn't let it linger in the mind. He doesn't let it germinate in the mind. He cuts it off there and then. He didn't care who was listening. He didn't care who was around. He just cuts off the wrong thought with swiftness. And that's what we need to do when wrong thoughts come into our minds. We need to deal with them. We need to cast them down with immediate effect. Acts 17, 11 talks about those Bereans. 
And it says, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. You see, we need to have a ready mind, a ready mind to listen to what the word of God has to say. Not listen to what the external source has to say, but to listen to what the word of God has to say. And this brings us to our final thought this morning. A mind to cultivate. Turn with me to Philippians. Just over a few pages there. To the epistle to the Philippians. And the chapter number 2 please. Philippians chapter 2. We've thought about this mind that we need to captivate. But now we want to think about the kind of mind that we want to cultivate. Philippians 2 verse Number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the kind of mind we want now. A mind like that which Christ had. Listen to what it says about him. Who, being in the form of godliness, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. I don't have time to expound this passage this morning, but let's learn some lessons very quickly. The Lord Jesus had a humble mind. Look there again at the first part of verse 7. He made himself of no reputation. Verse 8 it says he humbled himself. We too ought to cultivate such a mindset. Look look up there at verse 3 of the passage. It says let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. We need to have this humble mind. Not thinking that there's anything great about us. Not thinking that there's anything wonderful or brilliant about us. Recognizing and realizing that we're just sinners saved by grace. You know, humility humility is the opposite of pride. It does not seek for personal recognition, but rather puts others before ourselves. And that does not come naturally to us. But this is the kind of a mind that we need to cultivate. Not only did the Lord Jesus have a humble mind, he had a servant's mind. Look at the second part of verse 7 there. It says, and he took upon him the form of a servant. It doesn't come naturally to be a servant either. We would rather that others were serving us. We see this perfectly illustrated in the upper room. Where none of the disciples were willing to wash one another's feet. But the Lord Jesus girded himself with a towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He served them. This was the king of glory. Bound down on his knees before men, men that he had created, and washing the dirt off their feet. That's humility. That's service. And that's the kind of mind the Saviour had. Not only did he have a servant's mind, but he had an obedient mind. Look at verse 8. 
And it says there that he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Despite the consequences of what his obedience meant, the Lord Jesus had a mind that was always obedient to the will of his heavenly Father. Speaking of his heavenly Father, he said in John 8, 29, I do always those things that please him. Obedience. In the garden, he prayed in Luke twenty two forty two. it tells us, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This pattern that we see exemplified by the Lord Jesus here is the pattern for victorious living. The humble, obedient servant is the one whom God blesses. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And that exactly that is exactly what the Lord God did for his blessed son, the Lord Jesus. Because we've already read it there in verse 9 of Philippians 2. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Do you know, as we began looking at this subject this morning, we recognized that we live in a world where so many people are losing out in the battle for the mind. But we have seen from God's word today that it's possible to have a mind that is at peace in a restless world by doing two things, by captivating wrong thoughts and by cultivating right thoughts. I close with this challenge from Dr. David Jeremiah who said this. He said, take the challenge. Keep your mind centered one day at a time on heavenly things. You may just change your world. May the Lord write his word upon our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee this morning for thy word to our hearts. And Father, we realize the human mind is a complex thing. And Father, we realize that there's so many people in this world today who are struggling in their minds and struggling in this battle for control over their minds. But Father, we thank you that your word, your word which is all-sufficient, has even demonstrated to us this morning how we can be victorious by captivating these wrong thoughts and by cultivating the right ones. And Father, may these be lessons that we will take with us down into a new week and, Father, continue to live out in for the rest of our lives. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for helping us as we've thought about your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.